0: if we need to see change and we need to see big shifts in how we in mindsets it can only happen if it is anchored in uh, processes and systems that can continuously evolve and enable this change i think with the lack of it it just becomes another concept right that's never seen fruition if you look at even the, the holidays you shouldn't be recharging in the holidays you should just be celebrating the holidays If you're recharging already it really means that you you face a burnout
1: right before the holidays so shim we had priya thumalapali who is a, a a director of people experience solutions from intuit the uh software company uh based in mountain view in silicon valley Uh, in the US. And she was previously spent 10 years as vice president of global HR, digital strategy and innovation at Prudential Financial. So from one quite traditional financial services organization to a newer, but still really established and thriving um, software company. Um, Wow. That was a, that was a kind of beautiful conversation wasn't it in fact i I used the word beautiful probably far too many times during that one
2: (laughs) i slightly fangirl over priya whenever Mm. we speak with her she has such presence Mm. and such a beautiful kind of way of looking at the world and understanding it and such a thoughtful way of looking at the world i was so pleased when she agreed to come on and be in conversation with us um She's just very thoughtful in the way that she approaches the world. She's so thoughtful in the way that she approaches things like learning. And I find her speaking with her so inspirational. So it was a fantastic conversation.
1: Yeah. And then getting into, you know, as we wanted to, if you like the executive or the leadership view of nature of work in an organizational setting, I think, I think she took us kind of perfectly into that. She immediately kind of, Uh, kind of hooked me in where she talked about how we're so immersed in the language of fear. I mean, obviously, we talk about that on a media level, but it's really struck me that in the world of work, work, as you said, you know, we talk about the war for talent. Uh, I often talk about bullet points, uh, target markets. This is the language of war. It's actually not even the language of the machine. It's the weaponization of language. And we're so kind of soaked and bathed in it we barely see it. So I think when Priya then talks about that, it helps us sort of wake up um, to what we're, what we're seeing. And then that other word, which she brought in, which I really like is the idea of anti-fragility. That's a really, uh, I mean, what did that mean to you?
2: It's funny because fragility and fragileness is, it's seen as weakness, right? If you're seen as fragile, something is fragile it's it has an inherent weakness to it and so anti-fragility is looking for strength um for me and i think mm. what what raises for me actually as we talk about it is is there a benefit to seeing where fragility lies and it's then that you can start to think through okay how can we counter that um and is there a benefit in having fragility i don't know like glass can be quite fragile but at the same time, mm. plays such an important role in mm. our lives, for example. But um, yeah, this idea of anti fragility and it, it feeds into the idea of resilience is a is a fascinating one.
1: Yeah, and I I I I mean, as you say, I think Priya's really quite um, rare because she's very strategic. But I I but but I, and I also get a sense of her kind of deeper, almost kind of spiritual kind of consciousness i keep wanting to talk to her about other topics of spirituality or mysticism and mindfulness and we never quite get into that but i i can i think in a way i don't know whether that's that's a an important side of her life or not but i suspect it is i think what's really um uh perfect is that she brings the that aspect of her life um in my understanding into work but not in a kind of overt in quite a subtle way um I suppose I like it because I try and I kind of try and do the same thing myself I don't know if you've noticed that
2: I have I have in our conversations I I would love to sit and have a coffee with her on like a Saturday morning and just talk through the ills of the world Mm. um I think she I think one of the things that Priya seems that she embodies the idea of Strength and vulnerability
1: mm-hmm. in a
2: leader, which I think is is so needed now going forward. She speaks so much about the importance of learning, and I think behind learning, you need to be ready to be vulnerable and recognise that you don't know everything. And I think for some people that can be quite difficult. I remember one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a conference was a panel. Just back in the days when we couldn't be in person, but it was a panel, and one of the panelists was asked a question. And you normally expect a panellist to have the answers for everything, but they they just said, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And, I'm, and it was powerful. And that ability to say, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, um, is going to be crucial, I think, going forward, because it then creates space for others to try and say, well, let's see if we can find the answer together. Um, and I think Priya embodies that mindset.
1: Uh, absolutely and also she said lots of fantastic and complimentary and non-prime things about the nature of work book which was great so you know if you haven't got nature of work please go on to amazon or come to natureofwork.com and uh buy the book it's in audio format, It's in ebook format um it's in Hardback, which is, I think, my favourite because it looks so beautiful. Um, <laughs> so um, it's great to have somebody um, also um, so touched and moved by it and saying it wasn't a book, it was a movement. Um, anyway, let's have our conversation with Priya Thurmapali. Kind of one of the things, Priya, that I, I kind of thinking as we as we start is that we've had now 12 months almost of of nature of work since the book came out and we've seen it start to ripple through organisations um i think one of the things that stayed with me has been the power of having new language to talk about and think about work so looking at it through a lens of habitat or migration or diversity biodiversity and it's interesting we said in the book that when you get new language you create new realities and uh so it's great to have what i hope will be if you like an executive view from yourself in a senior role at intuit over in uh, mountain view in, in silicon valley and if you like a kind of perspective from where you are you've been connected to nature of work in your previous role at prudential financial and now in your new role so just to kind of start us off priya could you um just describe what 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 is your new role at the moment and and maybe how does it differ from what you were doing previously
0: sure and um paul thank you i think um the um, firstly thank you for having me because i am excited about The book, I've read it a couple of times. Um, I find it to be a very useful resource. And at some point in this conversation, um, I do wanna talk about the language you're spot on when you talk about how language starts to shape our thinking, uh, our mindset. And uh, it's really exciting to see how the book differs in the way it brings different perspectives and connects us back to nature. So um, I can, I'll start off with my role at Intuit. Um, I'm leading a team called uh, People Experience Solutions. So in other words, it is all about the employee experience or the people experience. Um, I'm glad we're also shifting away from just talking about employees, right? I think there are different um, kinds of people who come into the organization and it's all about people. Uh, here, I'm wearing a couple of hats at the core of it and a deep listening to what the people really want. Where do we see like the most frictions, I would say, in their everyday experiences at Intuit and where we can create more moments of delight? And all this can be only done if we have the right um, systems in place, an immune system that'll really help us to listen Mind the data so we can illuminate these frictions and make connected and purposeful experiences, whether it's people, process, technology, workplace. I think all of this, at the core of it, you need to have a functioning system in place. So right now, a lot of my work is in setting up these foundational practices, um, lean operating models so that we can shift and adapt. I think that is very much needed right now. Uh, it's been great so far. Um, Intuit's a very purpose, purpose-driven purpose company, uh, values-driven. It's it's not only ingrained in their strategy when I came in and I was learning about it, but I feel it in every fiber of the operating model.
2: I'm so glad to hear that you're finding the experience in Intuit so purposeful so far and that that focus on the people experience is so kind of heart and center of, of what you're doing. And I thought maybe you mentioned the language and how important language is and the words that we use and the phrases that we use. And we know deeply that that's not just a surface level experience. The words that we use can shape our experience, can shape our beliefs and our beliefs shape our language and our world. And it'd be great just to hear a little bit more about why you feel the language we use is so important
0: the language we're using right now is is it's blurring the lines right the media is using a different language it's creating fear and with everything going around us the and we'll uh, i'd like to touch upon it too is the the great resignation the great migration i think the what what it starts to dim is by creating this fear it dims the opportunity space and how we should be thinking about these changes. These changes are not here to destroy us all the time. These changes are about regeneration. And so the focus being on the destruction and not on the growth um, really really puts people in a bad place. So I think the lang- the, how, we, how we interpret, how we call something, how we characterize a movement, these are gonna be very important through the use of language. Mm.
2: One of the things that comes to mind for me is this phrase, the war on talent that you hear, particularly in relation to this idea of the Great Resignation and that language, that phraseology, the war on talent creates so much friction. And as you said, destruction in the way that we approach this idea, as opposed to thinking about a sharing of talent, a migration of talent, and that creates such a very different mindset and perspective of the way that talent flows and the way that it moves between different um, organizations. And Paul, I know the great resignation, the great migration, as you call it, is something that is of particular interest to you as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think you put it beautifully, Priya. Um, I wrote down the language of fear and, and if language does create our reality and it does create it in a work setting as much as it does in a, just a life setting, then the language that we use inside our workplaces really makes a makes an impact. I mean, the idea of, you know, you've renamed, if you like, the Great Resignation as the, the Great Regeneration. You know, it, it, and we call it the Great Migration um, in order to just have an alternative uh, way of saying people moving to where they wish to be uh, where they feel at home and at ease in nature is more of a migration, and and do do you notice that um, uh, attempt to try and use that language in the way that Intuit um, thinks and approaches talent? Because I know being where you are, there's such a. It was already, uh, if you like, a a a, a kind of talent. I'm trying to use a word that isn't talent war, a talent kind of process at place already. Um, um, but how does Intuit approach that?
0: I, I want to go back a little bit about the language uh, on the Great Resignation itself. If I can touch upon that for a, a brief minute um, and I'll share with you where we are in our own journey. Into it. Um, the, the great story started with some of the data, right, that the media was sharing about how in the US, especially in August, there were um, more than 4 million people who left the national workforce. Um, I think UK experienced it. You surpassed a million uh, job quittles for probably that same time. Yeah. But re- the way this whole movement has been characterized as the Great Resignation is, is, is kind of a reactive metaphor. Yeah, people are leaving the workforce in hordes. But when you see data and stop there and you use a language like that uh, you're just seeing one side of the story it's the other side of the story which 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 is really the interesting side of it the why of it so the seismic shift here is that people are realigning their lives all over i think the story is out there we have realized that life passes by regardless of big events right and so um, there's a big realignment to our own relationship with our work, our family, our kids, our pets, everything. So here it's all about transition, growth, and regeneration, like I said. And so if we can go deep into that story and how organizations are looking at it as a big realignment more than anything else, that's going to be important for us. That's the perspective I feel that we should be taking. And the question for these organizations is how do we characterize this movement? How do we reorganize, or rather reimagine work? Yes, that ta- there is um, even here at um, Intuit, we are facing the, the the same talent challenges, and the focus we are doing is how much can we control this from the outside and the inside, and design new ways of working. So the focus has really been uh, there. Is there's a culture here of listening? It's a very very customer backed culture, and so. In the same vein, we're also looking at what do we need to do better for all the people that are into it, and how do we get out of this reactive mode of adjusting and the past ways of working and move into more. Uh, I know hybrid's the new language here, but what does hybrid really mean? If you look at a person, what do, what does hybrid mean? Does it mean at a core level spending more time on your wellness and If you look at even the the holidays the you shouldn't be recharging in the holidays you should just be celebrating the holidays if you're recharging already it really means that you've faced a burnout right before the holidays right and so language does matter and it's important for us to see you're taking the time off to do you even have the space in you to celebrate anymore
2: that's such a lovely way of framing it and i can you know if i speak from experience if i think about this time last year I was looking forward to the holiday period as a time of recharging of regenerating and actually i was already kind of burnt out by then and wasn't able to fully celebrate and enjoy the time off and now i look to how i feel this year a year later and it's very much more i've taken the time to manage my stress throughout the course of the year to think about am i regenerating through the course of the year instead of thinking i need to save it until right at the end And therefore I'm feeling much more in that calm mode going into the holiday period. And one thing that you mentioned that I want to pick up more on is this idea of listening and how do organisations learn from this moment to really think about not just reacting constantly to this idea and this fear that they're going to be losing all of their talent, but really this is a moment of reorganisation and a moment where you can think about the future and one of the things Paul mentioned was the idea that yes people lots of people are leaving but that means there's a huge pool of talent out there and a huge diverse pool of talent that you can learn from um, and potentially bring into your organization and refresh those ideas and refresh the thinking through people that have so much experience in different areas and so I wanted to ask about the idea of biodiversity, really, and what that means for you. You know, it's one of the nature of work elements that really advocates for inclusion, belonging, diversity as a foundational contributor to the health of not just the organisation, but for teams and for individuals, for their families, for society. And so... With this view in mind, this great realignment, this great migration, what shifts are you seeing emerge in how leadership teams are approaching the opportunity of diversity?
0: It's interesting uh, how some of the elements of nature, which which, which is very beautifully highlighted in your book, and how the living dynamic system, they draw a direct correlation to how we should be designing new ways of working and I don't say this just metaphorically, but literally now, especially if you if I introduce the climate change acceleration, right? So your book is serving in two aspects. One is how do we draw from the elements of nature metaphorically? But on the other side, these are also important dimensions of nature where we are, I mean, there's self-destruction of the planet going on. And so I see it in both ways. Um, to answer your question on how organizations are handling biodiversity now, I think many organizations have opened up their lens on how they look at biodiversity. Um, and um, interestingly enough, these organizations also have been successful in higher retentions. And the challenge is we need to be including more dimensions to. Um, diversity and inclusion, right? This is beyond just racial inclusion. I'll give you an example. Um, There's data that one in five individuals, especially in the US, has a learning or thinking difference. Uh, It could be ADHD, dyslexia, could be different ways how you process information, how you think, and that's like 20%, right? Uh, If you look at one in five, and if we start to spotlight and start to in, be more inclusive and expand our filters of uh, diversity, it kind of opens up your natural pool, uh, your talent pool naturally. The challenge is that company, uh, the neurodivergent individuals in companies, they also need to, need to be treated the same way that's inclusive for all and not separately, I think. So it has got its level of complexity, but, it's proven that, and a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of founders and CEOs have come forward to share their cognitive differences. um, And and it's proven that it can drive innovation and company success. So it's not about, this is beyond inclusion, right? It's also, there is a direct correlation to how the companies benefit from it and can stay competitive. So there are, I've, I've been following a couple of companies like SAP, EY does it really well um microsoft is into it uh hp i used to work at hp in the past so um i think that's that's how i see diversity i think it, this this is going to be important now as people are realigning and finding more meaning and transitioning as who they are in life i think every organization needs to embrace that
1: yeah and i think that's a, you, you put it beautifully priya and um i had a conversation with somebody in a um European telecoms company this morning, and she was talking about these two sort of forces, if you like, or um, pressures that are, are at play at the moment. One is because of the level of uncertainty in work, the the craving for short term answers and and fixes and solutions. And we do need, for example, you know, in terms of return to work, not return to work policy. What do we do with 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 offices and so on. But the other, if you like, wave that's also coming is but hold on a second. We need to make deeper line changes in in how work happens across our organization. And I think, you know, diversity and inclusion are is, is clearly one of those areas. Wherever you are, and we're finding this as ourselves as a consulting company, we want a more diverse and inclusive workforce than the one that we've got it's it's a process that we've we're involved in but it's it's a a gradual and and process and one of the things that as we've started to apply a nature of work lends to dwg so we've put ourselves through our if you like our own consulting process where we've taken the 12 elements of nature of work and applied it to ourselves as i said uh, a little bit earlier on, and um, one of the things that um, Helen Day, who's been overseeing this inside the company, said was that she found that it doesn't matter what the top the topic could be; it could be to do with um, well being, health, uh, biodiversity, purpose. She said because the kind of background context is around nature, that it's much easier to have the conversations in a less threatening and challenging way. I mean, the topic of diversity in work can kind of, if you like, push people into default approaches. But if you then start to talk about the biodiversity in nature, it can sort of widen widen the context. Um, I mean, wh- when you're thinking about, if you like, leadership changes or leadership approaches inside Intuit, in my sense is that the organisations quite advanced, how do you, if you like, how does that group and that layer of the organization evolve in a nature of work context, would you say?
0: The way I see it is, you know, in both ways, um, if we need to see change and we need to see big shifts in how we, in mindsets, it can only happen if it is anchored in uh, processes and systems that can continuously evolve and enable this change. I think with the lack of it, it just becomes another concept, right? That's never seen fruition. So uh, let, let me give you an example the, from your book, uh, how it lays out the 12 different workplace elements, uh, the essential workplace elements. And I think these are the dimensions through which we should be looking. If I, If I have to organize my thinking around that I would definitely use them as tools and dimensions to start looking at where do are we where are we seeing vulnerability where are we seeing fragility and how do we bring that anti-fragile lens to this right how do you make it more how do you make parts of the organization pillars of the organization more resilient so if you if you think back at a basic level, these elements have not changed with time at all, the elements are the foundational elements over centuries, they've only taken different shapes. So having to use this as a lens, for example, how do we look at health of an organization, how do you look at the habitat. Where you come in to work with with hybrid, I think habitats being the most impacted how do you regenerate uh, new ways of working it's this is not about returning to work anymore this is about the future of work and I think that that's important for us to see the past and the future and what it really helps us to also look at is benchmark where we are today and where we need to go in any of these dimensions this is what is going to help us to stay competitive right as a business and it's 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 beyond profit making it's also to see how each organization is now accountable to create that impact in the world. Um, and how purposeful are we? Because if you if you connect back, a lot of the talent um, and the, the younger generations are now looking for purpose in in the company before uh, taking up an offer. So I, I, to sum it up, I do see these elements extend to any sphere of our life. It's not just organization. It's even personal as well. If you're, we're all continuously looking for meaning and purpose in everything we mm. do. So as a leader, I would definitely say these these twelve elements have kind of covered everything, where we can evaluate where we are, and we can reimagine where we need to go.
1: Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful statement, and it really challenges. I think one of the things that strikes me is that faced with a, 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 an increasing amount of uncertainty, and this came out of the conversation with this telecoms company this morning. If you then look to nature. How does nature deal with uncertainty? Well, it, it doesn't actually experience uncertainty. It experiences environmental conditions and environmental context. Um, and then it responds either, if you like, positively or if you like, in a way that weakens it uh, in response to that. So in the sense, to build anti-fragility inside an organization then um, creating a more nature-based way of seeing things, I think um, has such a profound effect. And I I suppose, you know, and I'm experiencing this, that there's really kind of, in a way, no way to hide for an organization. Because if you start to approach solutions in much too narrow a way, then this workforce that you want to bring into your organization, is not going to be attractive, or if it is attractive, it won't stay because of a lack of deeper purpose inside the organization. But if you then try and put a pure ROI financial metric on it, it can seem really difficult. And I think, you know, it's because we're moving from this industrial age to this living age, but it really challenges kind of business business habits, doesn't it, really?
0: It does absolutely I think uh, you're you're, you're very right in saying that organizations, I think now get exposed for not being accountable for everything, I mean look at climate change right. Um, The policies are now the good news is again using the language is there is. uh, We are not talking about the issue of climate change anymore, It, it is the reality, we have scientific evidence here, it is now being transformed into new policies, new ways of identifying organizations who are not accountable, or on the other side who are destroying the planet. And and, and so I think the the role of the organization in creating this impact and staying accountable has uh, is the new reality.
2: One of the things that really comes to mind to me listening to that is the threat of an organization or a leadership team seeing themselves as a closed system with no interconnectivity with the outside world and with its local environment, with its local community, with the families of the people that it employs. And if you see yourself as a closed system, you can't allow learning in, you can't allow that refreshing of talent, of thinking, of innovation. It's really hard to think about adapting to your external environment. And I think one of the benefits of this living systems approach is it breaks down that idea of a closed system. And actually the organisation has permeable borders and it is interconnected with its system, its supply system, its supply chain, um, all of the things that we've just spoken about. And this idea of adaptivity, of being accountable, of having that external view of listening, of feedback loops, which I think if you take the language and the inspiration and the direct lessons from nature become much easier to talk about than if you're looking at this older view, this older story of industrialization. It completely changes things um, and the, the art of the possible feels like it completely changes as well. And Priya, I know for you, this idea of lifelong learning is something that you're passionate about and a massive advocate of, um, whether that's in your role as a senior leader, or also just the way that you approach the world. And I'd be curious to hear what learning means for you and how you approach it and what other leaders can be learning from that.
0: Yeah, I think um, if I've done anything um, for my own growth, it's it's being in this constant constant learning mode. And I, I also like, I've tried to spend more time also trying to understand where learning can be more beneficial and systems of learning. I know there are um, people have different systems. I mean, I always talk about systems, but even for learning, there is a system. And I'm a big fan of John Dewey. I think I mentioned that even at the nature of work um, event. He he has this book called How We Think, and it is so it is it is simple and yet it is so profound about how he talks about the relationship between experience, reflection, and learning. And the way he describes it is experience is an interaction between the individual and the environment. And you don't control your experiences, right? And so there is randomness everywhere, and it generates experience, and that's the interaction. Reflection is intentional. That's an intentional action, and you control it. And so reflection starts with, it always starts with discomfort during an experience. And then it leads a person to a more insightful and a balanced state. So it takes time, it takes focus to reach clarity of thought. And so where it sums it up is that reflection gives an individual an increased power of control. It's very empowering. And how do you take an experience, reflect on it and convert that to not just learning, it's it's described as intelligent learning. And so it starts to build on itself. And if you see the reality now, every company is in a learning mode. Tell me one company that has really figured all this out, right? Uh, Even at Intuit, we continue to say we are in in a learning mode and we're okay to say we don't know everything. And so in my own personal learning, what I'm learning right now is um, how these broader random events in the world are actually not random at all and how they are impacting huge changes and how deeply they're interconnected. So it's almost like I have this organic mind map in my head right now. Um, <laughs> at the more immediate level, look at how we are traversing the uh, what we are calling are these big realignment or big migrations. Um, I, I look at it, you know, we have the inflation in US, right? And if you look at the timing of all of this, I see the connection is, it's also the the performance um, time for people getting paid their bonuses and how how, how are companies going to manage that? Is it going to happen now in the mid-year? Inflation is going to be sitting on top of everybody's head. But that's that's really here at a job level. But when you look at it at a macro level, I was reading about how climate change is enabling terrorism and see the interconnectedness. The more you see through all of this, the more connected these issues are and have a multiplier effect. So I feel my learning, my real takeaway is we need to have a more integrated approach and start looking deeper into the roots to see how the all of this, this is all networked and very, very closely connected to each other.
1: What you've said reminded me, I, I used to, when I was focusing more on the digital workplace and less on the nature of work side of things, I used to say that the, The term that I heard for about 10 years was integration. Everybody talked mainly about fragmentation because actually what was required or what was desired was integration, i.e. a sense that we're all one connected system. And of course, climate change shows us that we're one connected system. The pandemic shows us that we're one connected system. The financial crisis of 2008 shows us we're one Interconnected system, and and on and um, or, you know, you mentioned terrorism. One interconnected system, um, uh, and it goes on. I mean, one of the things that I think is, in a way, quite a a, a beautiful characteristic of organisations is that they've got the capacity to design or in, have intention about what they actually want to create, and. I'm sort of in a long winded way coming to a question I wanted to ask you, which is um, Carly Scott Murphy, who's in charge of uh, Viva and various other things at Microsoft based in Australia. When she was on nature of work live, she said something that really struck, stayed with me. She said, I, I suspect she's probably in her sort of late thirties. She said, I so love, what I do and where I work and the organisation I work for and the organisation it's become, I want to spend the rest of my working career here. And I wondered what would happen if organisations saw the, you know, what we've called the great resignations as an opportunity. How do we create an environment, an organisation, that when somebody joins it, so long as we can stay reasonably competitive and give them the, the, the kind of adaptability and learning that they want, that they would potentially spend the rest of their working career here. If it's, if it, if it's a good relationship, Um, I've been told that in, in DWG, somebody I was talking to last week on the compliance side, she said, God, you know, DWG people just stay working for it. And it's, it's actually almost become a slight problem for us because we'd actually like to bring in, if you like, sort of younger and some different voices into the organization. But the kind of longevity in the organization is also a strength. I mean, wouldn't, what about, wouldn't that be a something that it would be good to aspire to? Is that something that would have business benefit for Intuit if you were thinking or feeling operating like that? Or maybe you already do.
0: Yeah, I think Intuit Intuit definitely does that in many ways. Um, Again, I think we are also in a learning mode to see, uh, if you see the interconnectedness of this, we spoke about biodiversity. We spoke about um, like generations, right? Um, How are we thinking about the future generations and how they're coming into the workforce? And so you continue, it goes back to the basics. You continue to listen. You continue to mine and you look at where you can start eliminating the differences that we can embrace as an organization among people, and Intuit I think is doing it at a at many levels because it has a very strong foundation in uh, listening to customers, listening to people, and I think everything is driven from there. And I think it it has stayed. It's a very resilient organization. It is. It has not only stayed, but it has also done really well performance wise through the pandemic. And you can see some of these organizations, how it is so important to say, to see um, either they break under stress or they prove resilient and withstand stress. And so the, the whole idea of building more of these anti-fragile organizations, up, I think it's coming to light. One of the
2: things that comes to mind for me just as I reflect on where this conversation has gone is that is a tension a tension that exists between the complexity of systems and our desire to see simplicity. And no one person can ever see the system as a whole. And so the the need for that diversity of thought in leadership teams but across the organisation, so that you can start to build up that complex picture and understand the different elements of what's going on think through the learning, think through what do we need to be doing becomes more and more essential as we reach into that phase, that period of uncertainty that we're all in. Um, and one of the things as well that just came to mind for me is this idea we've mentioned future generations and future generations that are coming into work. And Paul, you spoke about how in DWG we have this younger group and we have this older group who are thinking through nature of work. And there's a book that is on my reading list I'm desperate to read, but uh, I will hopefully do so over the Christmas period. But um, it's this idea of how to be a good ancestor. And one of the things we talk about with Nature of Work is this idea of how can we be, what kind of ancestor do you want to be for future generations? What stories do we want them to inherit about what work is? And so Priya, I thought if we could just finish on what are your hopes as an ancestor to future generations of workers? What do you want them to inherit from us? And I'm gonna flip it as well. I'm just gonna add another bit. What would you want to be able to learn from the incoming generations as well?
0: Hmm. Yeah, um that's a nice reminder, ancestor. <laughs> it's that time. I I'm gonna start with something that I am more worried about, which is the accelerating climate change and its impact on the future generations because it's here. It's exasperating economic and health inequalities, right? It's impacting every dimension of human life. And what kind of, like the the pressing question is what kind of earth will the future generations inherit? The good news I think is that the younger generations are more sensitive to the reality, right? For us, we have to figure this out, convince ourselves, look for scientific, Evidence. So it, it it took time for people to start believing that it's already here, like um, there are families who are rushing to show their kids glaciers because that's going to go away melt away. And so it's going to be a very different earth. Um, and so I think we are kind of also altering the life supporting properties of our planet. So um, it's we have that evidence. It's not a topic to be discussed and it's moving to action so that's good news is that the the younger generations are not waiting for policies they're not waiting for governments to take action they're doing it on their own. And we have to see my hope is how do we start to mitigate these disasters, Um, I was reading in fact coincidentally I was uh, reading about the earth's black box I don't know if this was on New York Times a couple of days back and. Just like, you know, when, you, when a plane crashes, you look for the black box to piece together sort of the missteps. What they're doing in Tasmania in a, um, in a remote part of Australia, so what they're doing is they're building the steel vault about the size of a school bus, and it's going to record the Earth's warming weather patterns. It's going to listen, it's going to look for data, and every, it's a centralized place where all the information is going to be stored. Uh, what it essentially is doing is it's creating an archive that could that's going to be critical uh, in order to piece together missteps if it, if it were to happen right that's what the creators say i'm hoping it's never going to be used right so i would say my, my final take is you know disorder is going to exist we're always going to have randomness uncertainty disorder and how do we build systems in place that's going to embrace randomness? that's going to embrace uncertainty. It's like going beyond resilience. It's going beyond getting stronger. It's how do you get strength through from stress and volatility. I think that is going to be a big challenge. And I think that is something that I'm hoping the future generations are able to crack. And at this point, it's about wearing the cape on one side to dramatically reduce the threat. On the other side, I'm hoping the futurists who are designing this new world Start to build that harmony
1: with nature. Beautiful conversation, Priya, and um, we've got to remind ourselves we're still talking about work, aren't we? Because so much of what we talk about in work now is is kind of where we find ourselves as a species. The lives outside of work. I mean, we found that work itself has become so uh, intermingled with the rest of people's lives, and you know that brings a lot of challenges. But I think. I think what you're doing in your your work, the language you're bringing into Intuit, and the if you like the kind of calm but urgent strategic approach you've got, I think it's uh, it's a real privilege to to talk to you. And um, thank you so much for the for the conversation.
0: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Shemrit. I think this was um, having this conversation also makes me go back. And look uh, reflect on a lot of things we spoke about, and I think you're doing such a beautiful job of connecting organizations and through the book and i 'm only hoping and I wish you good luck with this i'm hoping with this book it's going to take its own momentum and become a movement.
1: The Nature Work podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading organisations to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well. Until next time.